Hi, this is Al and welcome to the Open Chat with the Open Institute. The season zero of the Open Chat with the Open Institute is the one where we are going to be featuring our board members. Our intention with the Open Chat is simple. We want to talk to eminent personalities in data, in tech and in development. And we want to simply understand, you know, what, is, what does the future look like for um, in all these spaces in tech? And what is our world going to look like in the next 10 years and so on? So today we're having our new chair, the new chair of the board of directors of the Open Institute, and he is a senior program director at the Global Partnership for Sustainable Development Data. I've had to cram this for a while. It's going to take you a bit longer. GPSDD, most of us just call it the Global Partnership, but it is this overall body that all of us um, that work in data are members of um, that is caring about um, how does data get mainstreamed, get um, permeated into all aspects of our lives, and how do we use it for value? So, the things that I'm going to talk about with Davis, I have known him for a really long time. Um, I, have, I have worked with him for more than 20 years now, I think it's been, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, it's been more than 20 years, and um, we're going to go da a little down memory lane, and you might end up discovering how old we are, despite how young Davis looks. Um, <laughs> um, but before we do, we're going to ask you to do, to do us a favor and just hit that subscribe button. Um, please tell a friend to tell a friend and please hit that uh, bell so that the next few episodes you will actually get. Now on the, on the comment section, please make sure that you tell us um, who you would like featured um, in the open chats with the Open Institute. Anyone who works in tech, in development, in data, who you think of as a futurist, we want to have them on the show. Um, so suggest them to us. And if there's a way that you think you can participate, let us know. Davis, how's it? Good, thank you. Um, you and I have come a long way. Alcaz, you know when I met you, you still had hair. <laughs> and I actually had some hair too. Yeah. Uh, but... and unfortunately now, um, we're spotting the bald look. Um, it's all the rage. Um, I have the hair on the inside now, you know, it's, uh, it's imaginary <laughs> hair, um, and which is a tragedy for us because, you know, now our flows are back. Yeah, but, you know, the ball look is also part of the executive look now. So. Yes, yeah, so we, we, we are executives. Mm. Yeah, we can console ourselves with executives. Exactly. <laughs> I think I met you around the time I was working for the Kenya City Authority, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. That's, you remember? Um, it's quite, quite a while, yeah. That and, was uh, 2006, 2008, 2006, yeah, that area. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's a long time ago. And uh, the conversations around data was simply not there. Yes. Apart from, you know, thinking about, you know, technology, digitization, fiber optics. Right. And how do we get Kenya to advance in its connectivity? Of course, mobile money was picking up then. Yes. You know, that was the digital stuff that we knew. Right. There. Yeah. And, and, and you know what's interesting is that I was thinking about it earlier today. And I realized we have been alive from the time of letters That's a to the time of TikTok. We will have to explain to um, Gen Z what a PO box is because majority of them will not have used it. And a phone booth. And a phone booth. Unfortunately, I don't see many of them around Nairobi. And we we'll and we'd have to show them how to tap. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> the phone when it has a padlock on it. <laughs> exactly. These are, th these are experiences that they will never have <laughs> because we have to go to um, through these things. So we need that digital museum somewhere. Right? So anyway, would you would you take a moment to just 
introduce yourself to the public. My name is Davis Adiano. I'm the Director of Programs at the Global Partnership for Sustainable Development Data. Ben we had a long acronym, GPSDD. We decided we're getting rid of that because it was still a mouthful. And so we simply call ourselves the Global Partnership. The question um, I would ask you then, your career didn't start out here. Absolutely not. You're an architect, first of all, no. but we're going to ignore your architecture. <laughs> and I'm going to remember the time when you are in NTA, and I'm specifically going to remember the time when you guys were working on um, CDF, mm -hmm. and I saw citizens go to a school in Western, and that was written that it had been built. Yeah. And they went and showed a field and said, this is where the school is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that life. No, it was interesting. I mean, we we saw it all. Um, and honestly, Alcadza, I wouldn't do that job now because uh, <laughs> the levels of tolerance yes. uh, for you know um, evidence and you know holding people to account is has substantially reduced. Yes. Back then, you know, we used to get you know, actually death threats, you know, people right. pull you into parliament, they threaten you. Yes. Some say they'll sue you, but because you have tangible evidence, yes. uh, they end up not suing you. And then in the evening you meet and they laugh and they're like, you saw what I did in the media? <laughs> I hammered you guys very yes. hard. Yes. Uh, but you know, I know your report is really good. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for my constituency and my votes, yes. sec, I had to go to the media and protest yes. bitterly. Yes. But how can we work together? So we made many friends, um, but also very many enemies uh, at the time. Just looking at social audits, you know, the data is actually out there. This was our very first version of open data. Right. You know, the CDF board used to publish data. Right. Make it publicly available. Yes. So what we do is to pick that data. Go to the constituency, mm. uh, look at the amounts that have been allocated. Yes. Uh, you know, go to the ground. Yes. Get an engineer. Right. Uh, or an architect or, you know, somebody who's fully qualified to make assessments. Yes. Uh, then they look at a building, you know, and they tell us, okay, uh, you're told that uh, five million went into this building. But for my assessment, only 500, you know, only, only 500,000 bob. Right sunk or sunk into this. So yes. the difference is what the public was losing. Right. In some cases, like you're saying, we'd go to the ground and hear, oh, there's a bridge worth 16 million shillings um, that's supposed to be somewhere. In one of the cases, we actually found the bridge about 500 meters away from the river itself. What how, do you mean? How that happened is uh, a teacher. A bridge 500 meters <laughs> from, away. Where, from the river, from where it's supposed to be. So when you're crossing, you're not crossing anything. You're not crossing. The river is there. The bridge is not there. Right. But the bridge has been constructed using culverts. Right. And because the, the teacher yes. was given the contract yes. uh, to construct this bridge, yes. had no clue about how to do it, but he needed to show something. Yes. Went somewhere else on the road, took some culverts, which was the simplest form of like, and then put some concrete over it and took a photo. <laughs> and that was accounted for as a 16 million bob Kenya shillings bridge. Wow. Um, we saw it all. In other places, you'd be told, oh, there's supposed to be a well here, a borehole. Uh, it took about 3 million shillings. Um, we had photos of the ground where yes. it's supposed to be yes. and a very tiny one-inch hole. Um, that barely went into the soil and we were told, oh, this is where the this, is is a this is the borehole. It's supposed to be here. And it yes. was, you know, 
So when you talk about the genesis of corruption, you know, in, 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 in the public domain and uh, uh, going back uh, to why people love brick and mortar. Right. It's because it was a lot easier, you know, to, to sink steal. money into something and then, you know. But the social audits would bring out the evidence. What was interesting is we also gave the members of parliament the opportunity yes. to dispute the report. So we come up with a draft report. Citizens have looked at everything. The yes. engineers have certified. Yes. We take it to the MP and tell him, now, look, this is what we found. You have three weeks. Take your time. Dispute. If you have evidence. Yes. And to be honest, where we found missing projects in some cases, mm. the money had been reallocated. To somewhere else. To some other project. Right. But you know, the, 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 the way that we know um, people who work for the public sector, especially on our continent, they have a bad reputation. Yeah. They have a reputation of being corrupt, of misallocating money, of misusing money, and so on and so forth. But you have built a career over all these years, learning how to work with them and how to um, work with the ones passionate about development. And there are very many of them who are passionate about Absolutely. development. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that shift in your career. No, and I'll tell you something. Mm. Even when we were reviewing the CDF projects, yes. there were many projects that were done very well. Right. So it was not everything that was, you know, poorly yes. done. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, uh, there are many members of parliament who also admitted, you know, I'm in Nairobi most of my time, yes. during my doing my legislative work. Right. The CDF committee on the ground has messed up. Yes. Clearly, in your report, you highlight that. Can we have a conversation about how we remedy? Right. There are many members of parliament, some of them are our leaders now, yes. <clears throat> who pretty much owned up to the mistakes that had been made. Right. And so when you talk about the public service, you know, uh, the reason why Kenya still survives is because there are many people who are dedicated and passionate. Uh, and you who know, are willing not, to get things oh, done. They are willing to get things done. They are very progressive. We work with many, many government officials who are very progressive. Yes. Um, they buy into ideas. They see the opportunities, you know, for them. Um, it's all about, you know, going beyond um, and within the context of everything else that's going on, finding opportunities, both for personal growth, but also just being passionate about service delivery and doing their jobs properly. Um, and so, you know, when you look at what we were doing, the most powerful thing about it was citizen empowerment. Mm. Uh, probably 60 to 70 percent of MPs in the 2013 yes. uh, elections yes. didn't go back to parliament right? because of the social audit reports. The opponents were going around the constituency campaigning and saying, hey, our guy here has lost. This is what he has done. This is what he's lost. And, right. you know, and, and people would say, we are not electing you back because of, of these reports. Why do and you so, think the social audits are not things that are still being done um, in Kenya? Why, why do you think the social audit is not something that is mainstream um, in Kenya now? No, it's interesting. Um, I, I simply cannot answer that question. You know, it's not a fairly straightforward response, I right. would say, but there's a number of factors. Yes. Um, one of them being at the time when I was living NTA, National Taxpayers Association, a lot of donors were shifting priorities mm. as a result of the 2008 recession. Right. Uh, and so a lot of grants were coming to an end, people were pulling back and then think, rethinking their strategies. Um, and then secondly, there was a shift in focus to counties, right. given devolution. Yes. So, you know, can we look at counties? And then everybody realized that counties were terribly undercapacitated. Yes. 
Uh, and so a lot of investments went into building structures and supporting counties to establish you know, um, uh, systems. And at that point, it was not about accountability and governance. Right. It was more about let's build institutions that can deliver to a certain extent. Yes. And so that shift you know, led to um, a, a bit of, even for civil society to rethink, mm. you know, how do we work with counties? Then mm. you realize the counties have nothing you can even work right. with, you know. So what do you do at that point? And so can you then, um, uh, it also, in, in a sense, fizzled out, you know, the systems and disrupted opportunities for people to work. But I think, you know, to a large extent, um, I would have loved to see that being mainstreamed and going on even at the county level because we know just how much we are losing as a country. Um, but I also feel like it's not that easy. It's not that simple. Uh, when I was at Civicus World Alliance, we we observed a, you know, a serious um, trend in terms of shrinking civic space. Right. And this was not just you know, in Africa. It was all it's over the global, world. It's, it's a, a global, global thing. So yes. when you look at uh, the Civic Monitor, um, uh, which is one of the tools that was being, uh, aggregating data from multiple sources to look at how civil society, citizen voices um, are actually, you know, uh, being, being listened to, we realized that, you know, it was getting harder and harder and harder and then just, you know, the knot was being tightened mm. across the world. Yes for citizens to talk about their issues right. and for governments to be a bit more tolerant about citizen voices and all that. So that trend, again, uh, is is a big issue, but uh, it's been countered by social media, I would say, uh, at this point. Mm. Because social media has provided the opportunity um, and avenue for people to speak out and you know uh, talk about some of this stuff um, in a way that's a lot harder to track somebody down and arrest yes. them and, you know, yes. yeah, put them into jail. Yes. Um, and, and that's opportunity. And that's why a lot of, re, you know, retrogressive and um, uh, repressive governments, first thing they do is to shut down social media. Yes. In case there is a bit of tension so, so and that civil strife. So, so that, that there's, no, and there's, there's no, no, there's no communication, there's no coordination, there's no, you know, right. that's the first target. And that's, that's what happens uh, nowadays. Tell me, now that you're in a global position, of course, a lot of your work is very high level, and um, you're even in terms of the the role is a coordinating role. What are the big trends that you're seeing now, especially with regard to data, mm -hmm. over the last five or so years? When I was at Civicus, we worked a lot on citizen-generated data. Yes. Uh, you know, under the Data Shift Initiative. Yes. And at the time, I remember having conversations with statisticians right. and others about why this is so important. Yes. And it will simply get rubbished. Yes. Five years later, everybody is talking about citizen-generated data. Yes. As it is now. Yes. Um, and and that's a big comeback uh, for 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 CGD, which mm. is really important. There are foundational infrastructural issues that need to be addressed. Right. There's a deliberate effort to try and address those, and I think, you know, um, a lot of the regional bodies, including some of our partners like the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa are looking at transformation and modernization. Because modernization is looking at all those foundational issues. But right. then transformation is different ways of doing things. And that's really important. Um, and then incorporating new complementary sources of data. Uh, Earth observation, satellite imagery yes. is now a big deal. Uh, nobody can dispute a satellite image, you know, and then, unless you photoshopped it. But even without, you'll be discovered very yes. fast. 
but then even now things like ai are coming on top of that now now how do you how do you layer um for example um population and health data yes and with earth observations yes. uh, you know to create to, to to create grid population uh, layers that then allow you to gain further insights mm. um so from satellite imagery you can see hey uh, five years ago, yes, um, one truck used to park in a particular town center. Yes, yeah, uh, you know. Um, five years later, from satellite imagery, yes, you can see like a small town mushrooming. Right. From you know one single truck, and now the truckers are parking there more and more. Yes. And there's a like town mushrooming out of that. Yes. So you can tell from five, seven years ago using satellite imagery, uh, and you can observe those trends. But Again, you have demographic and health and, you know, census data, mm. which then you can layer. On top of that. On top of that. Yes. And you can tell from four years ago uh, or ten years ago, that was the population of that particular place. Mm. And now you can tell from the population growth how things have changed. Yes. But integrating those two gives you a much richer story. Right. You know, rather than just looking at satellite imagery or looking at numbers. Yes. In terms of the population growth. Um, and so those opportunities are being made possible by all these tools, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and of course, um, the raw in situ data that you actually get from people. We cannot right. discount the role of people because all these things are important, yes, but you have to go to the ground again uh, and work with like administrative data sources to understand what are the latest trends, um, you know, in, in, in different sectors. Tell me, does it worry you that in Africa, for example, and in the global south, we are not actually producers of um, AI tools and AI languages and so on and so forth. And we are largely consumers rather mm -hmm. than producers. Yeah. Um, and, and how that's going to play out in the next 10 years. What is interesting is, um, you know, we last year we implemented a project uh, with GIZ Kenya um, on learning about you know, artificial intelligence and how the community in Kenya is actually, uh, that report is coming out soon, um, on how AI uh, and developing guidelines around how, um, you know, non-state actors in particular can apply AI, looking at capacity issues, looking at legal issues, um, you know, looking at technological and infrastructural issues. Um, and we learned that there's a lot going on. Mm. And what's interesting is that there's a lot of Kenyan actors who are actually you know, working on tools, solutions, using AI. Uh, and so it may not be spoken of, but uh, to be honest, there's an entire community uh, working on this. And what's also interesting is that there's lots of Kenyans and Africans who are working on what you're calling the tools that are coming from the West. But yes. the application, you know, after this have been developed, then the applications now come back right. in the form of, you know, uh, tools that are being implemented by company X yeah. or tech giant X, which is not. But these are developed by homegrown folks, right. um, and so these these are areas we need to think about uh, when you're talking about retaining talent. You know, we have or even reattracting and reattracting talent, talent back. We have such a strong pool of you know um, uh, tech tech giants, you know, data scientists and everybody else who are working in uh, Silicon Valley and yes. who need to come back to the Silicon Savannah. Yes. And those are the conversations we need to have. So how do we create an enabling environment for people to come back uh, and do some of that stuff here? What do you consider to be your life mission? You've gone from NTA, you've gone to um, 
DI, you're going to civic us, you're now GPSDB. But when you look at, you know, all of these things, what do you consider your life mission? I've always been passionate about people. Right. And myself joining the global partnership and of course Civicas was always there's always a relation to how all these global conversations, commitments, um, and everything translate into meaningful, impactful initiatives that touch people's lives. Yes. Um, and I don't think that will change for a long time. Right. Because even my shift into nonprofit and you know into civil society was you know, from the private sector, I was primarily driven by that. Yes. Uh, and so it's a, it's a journey that I'm on and consistently finding opportunities, you know, um, where from where I sit, you know, to create even more opportunities for others, you know, to get to, you know, spread this gospel yes. about why it actually matters. Ultimately, it's people's lives. And if Corona didn't teach us anything in 2020, 2020 um, and even now yes ultimately it just boils down to life and you know yes. livelihoods the jobs and everything else you know when all that is gone you're left there wondering what am i going to eat yes. what am i going to drink you know <laughs> um do i have a roof over my head it comes down to the basics it's back to the basics yes and so all these development models have to think about and constantly aim at going back to the basics so what was this thing that you saw that made you decide to join um, the Open Institute board and to even chair it? And so the journey with Open Institute and seeing, um, you know, um, you going through a lot of transitions, you know, uh, rethinking your own strategies, uh, you know. I don't think there's a Kenyan organization that has tested approaches yes. and models for yes. citizen and community engagement around data. Yes. Open Institute. No. And I can count across the region. Yes. There are very few. Very, yes. And so when you look at those models and where you've come in terms of the ability to go into a community and explore and sit down with people um, and, you know, the curiosity to try and find out what really matters to these people and mm -hmm. how do we involve them. Not many organizations do that. Right. Um, and so, you know, that for me in different jobs has been very attractive. Yes. Uh, to the Open Institute, and I'm a big fan, you know, I've always been there supporting uh, and, of course, learning at the same time, because when you go to the community, there's something you learn, and when you sit in some of these global events, when you speak, you know, the way you communicate is different from people who haven't been exposed to that level of citizen engagement. Right. Uh, and because, so there's a lot. Because the facts are different. And you're being, you're real, you know, yes. you're a bit more grounded in the reality of poverty, you right. know, poor services, you know, um, uh, and the you know challenges that people are facing, um, you know, at at a very granular level. Yeah. Um, and so you want to see the opportunities of how you take all that to make sure that the communication and the you know conversations that are happening, even at the highest level, you know, are pretty much grounded in the reality of what people experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And so the Open Institute for me um, has been a long time journey of learning and that is what really attracted me to you know say hey mm. you know i've been part of this journey and even as we continue then there is an opportunity to actually get a bit more involved right um you know practically and you know uh, use some of the experiences you know the networks and you know the, the partnerships that we have to take it to the next level in terms of scaling, as, as much as possible, yes. as much as possible, you know, uh, in terms of you know creating opportunities for others, 
sharing this learning at a very proactive level, you know, because, you know, part of replication is not necessarily growing too large as an organization, but sharing those models and approaches in a way that, you know, others can learn and replicate in their own context. And that doesn't, doesn't have to be Africa only, you know. Um, these opportunities exist across the world. And we are so excited that you decided to actually join us and, and work with us on this. You've always been the person that we call on and say, hey, listen, so we need advice on, on some kind of direction or we need advice on how to navigate um, some, some difficult situations. My final question to you would be, if you were to look ahead 10 years, what does it look like for you? It's going to be super interesting. Um, and I think, you know, given the trends right now, I think there's there's two tracks you want to look at. Yeah. One is the political, which we tend to ignore. Right. We want to exist in a non-profit civil society, yes. you know, techie data uh, society. Yes. But then there's the politics, which is, and the real politics is what drives and, you know, um, gives direction to society. Mm. Um, it's important to look at that track. Right. Because there has to be a direct link. Right. Uh, between, you know, when we talk about data technology and everything else. And, you know, the conversation around digitization and digital transformation is so important and so timely right now. Yes. Uh, because it's it's evidence of a realization by a yes. lot of governments that if we don't catch up, then we're going to be in trouble. Right. Um, so there'll be lots of solutions, but then there's also the real fear about, you know, people and people's livelihoods. Mm. You know, when you digitize, somebody loses a job. So there's big, there's the big questions that we need to think about Um uh, and then look at how data and technology can be an enabler yes. for creating more opportunities. Right. So that these guys, even if you create even a machine, if you, exactly, they are going somewhere else. Exactly. Yes. And so we can grow our economies, um, you know, and governments can use data, technology, and evidence to be a lot more efficient, yes. which means making a lot more money available, mm. you know, um, to create more businesses, you know, uh, to create more opportunities mm. um, and the bigger the economy grows the, the more the ability to absorb all these people so digital technologies data um, uh, you know all these disruptive technologies yes you know are a double-edged sword right. depending on how you know governments and other partners are going to actually apply and use them right yeah there you have it folks you can add value from where you are with whatever you have so if you feel that there's something that you can contribute, don't sit back. Don't worry about your capacity. Just start somewhere. Just start contributing in one way or another. This is the Open Chat with the Open Institute, and we've, we are really happy that you are here to listen to us. This is our Series Zero. Our Series Zero is only just featuring our board members. Um, season One is going to be starting um, very soon. If you have somebody that you think that we should be talking to, um, please let us know and we'll make sure that um, we feature them. Even if it is you, you can nominate yourself. And also, if, you, if there's thoughts that you have around the conversations that you've had, on, not just on this one, but on any of the other videos, please make sure that you, um, you know, comment and, and let us know how you think about it. Thank you so much and have a super, super, super day.